Blog Talk Radio. All right now. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. So it's been a minute, but I did two interviews. If you all haven't had a chance to go out there and listen to the interview I did with Dr. Cameron and the interview I did with Dr. Fonza, I would definitely suggest that you take some time to go and listen to those. So because I did those interviews, I didn't do a regular show those two weeks. I don't want to burn myself out again. So, you know, with those two shows, it was chock full of information, and I'm hoping that you all learned from it and went out to do some research on yourself. And what I loved about those interviews was that it reinforced some of the things that I've talked about on this show, but it also broadened, you know, the perspective of that as well. So I'm hoping that, you know, it galvanizes you into wanting to go out or piques your interest enough to want to go out and maybe look around and get some books and, you know, answer some questions. Um, Dr. Cameron wrote a book called Black Free Thinkers, and I recommend you go get it. It's in soft cover, hard cover, um, and no, no Audible yet, but they do have the Kindle. With Dr. Fonza, her book is talking about, you know, rebuilding black communities with love, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the name of the book. And it's only available in digital form. So you can go and pick that up on um, at Amazon. But if you go back to the show notes for both of them, I have the link embedded in there. So today's show is titled, Something Wicked Comes This Way, right? And so that title was suggested to me by Andre Broadus, one of our um, friends of the show, right? And he says, oh, that would be a good title for a show. And how that conversation came up was on the last full show that I did, I was talking about Kanye West. And I was saying Kanye West is playing y'all like a fiddle because that's exactly what he's doing. And so that's when Andre brought that title up. And I thought that was a you know, good title, so I went on and titled today's show that. And if you look at the note, it talks about basically what's really happening in this country. These are the bullet points. And so some of the questions and just information that I want to hit on at some point in the show. So first one, first bullet point, what's really happening in this country, what's going on with Kanye, <clears throat> excuse me, Communes, Bibles, Pimpin' Ain't Easy, Black Tax, White Pathology, White Christians, Anti-Blackness, etc. So it's a number of things that I want to hit on today. And today may be a shorter show. Why? Because I am tired. I am not getting as much sleep, or I am getting sleep, but I'm not feeling rested. I'll put it that way. So before we go into all of that, I... Let me see here. <clears throat> so you all, you pretty much know, I, you know, I talk about myself a little bit on this show, but I don't really put a lot of information out there because just because I'm one of those people, I came up in a prodigy AOL days, and I learned my mistakes with AOL. So <laughs> I limit what I put on, you know, any type of social media about myself because I have seen some shit, right? But, you know, not too long ago, it had to be a couple of months ago, I was contacted by someone from my family. And this is someone that I didn't know. 
But it was interesting because I went into their photos after I accepted the friend request, and I'm sitting there looking at these pictures, and I felt like I was holding a mirror up. You know, it can be big sister, little sister. You know, I mean, it's just there. Same complexion. I was like, oh, my goodness, right? So, you know, I didn't really say too much because they hit me up in the inbox saying, let's talk soon. And I said, okay. And for those of you that know me, especially if you know me in real life, you know how leery I am with those direct messages on Twitter and, you know, the inbox on Facebook because it's like some people be into pure fuckery, and I don't like to get sucked into it. But, you know, all this person was saying, all she was saying is, you know, let's talk to them. So she finally called me. Y'all, you know, it's like she's like my doppelganger, but she sent me a picture of an aunt. And I'm like, wow. So now I know what I'm going to look like in 10 years and 20 years. And it's just absolutely amazing. You know, she started kicking down the family history and telling me who was who and what was what. And I remember talking with one of my uncles about one specific aunt, and she knows who it is. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to, you know, meet these people. You know, it's supposed to be something happening next summer, so I got to make sure I put it in my calendar so I can go so I can see these folks. But, child, let me tell you, it was like, you know, the other week I was talking about um good versus, you know, love versus hate. And I was talking about how they're polar opposite, right? But they're on the same plane and how if you don't love someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that you hate them because hate is not the polar opposite of love. You know, there's that pivot point, that center point right there. That's indifference. The opposite of hate is indifference. The opposite of love is indifference. And I'm only saying that so that you can kind of feel where I'm coming from. So let me tell you, I had a blast on those phone calls. She's really funny, very intelligent, all of that, you know, and she says, yeah, you know, and and we were just talking about different family members, but man, that's my doppelganger, but we are opposite, right? She's a Trumper, and when she told me she was a black for Trump, I'm sitting here looking at the phone like, okay, you trolling my ass, right? And she was laughing, and she was serious. And I'm like, are you serious? She was like, yeah. And I'm like, so, you know, we have to go through that a little bit. So I had to find out a little bit about that. And I'm like, you're a black for Trump. All right. So, you know, that led to some interesting conversations. Um, You know, she's also an anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, you are trolling me. I, I couldn't believe it at first. And it was just the funniest thing. Like I said, she's extremely intelligent. She's smart, you know, has her own businesses, doing well with her life. So I am not mad at all. And the thing is, is that we were able to talk about those differences and have a conversation and, you know, and move on. But it was just really interesting because I have some other cousins that are Trumpers black for Trump on the other side of the family. And we talk about these things, and, you know, I'm saying this to tell you guys that even if you meet someone that has, you know, um, that's the total, their belief system is the total antithesis to what you may believe, you can still have those conversations 
and walk away from those conversations with love for each other still, right? And, you know, that's very important. That's what I want you to take away from this is that even though we are kind of polar opposites as far as certain types of ideologies, you know, we were able to have those conversations, get our points out, laugh about it, and move on, you know. And so, yeah, so I'm like, so you're a black for Trump. You're an anti-vaxxer. She's not a conspiracy theorist. She says that she's not a conspiracy theorist. But she does believe that they're going to gas, you know, people that are on the spectrum, autistic people. And so, you know, it was very interesting, you know, interesting conversation. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, right? But, you know, it was great. I'm happy that I met her. I'm looking forward to more conversations. And, you know, she's an example of the extended family. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, she reminds me a lot of myself. So that's why we can talk on the phone, laugh, enjoy each other's company. And, you know, it was a very welcomed reprieve. So, you, you know, definitely I want to shout them out, let them know I appreciate them taking the initiative to make contact with me because I am really bad at that. You know, you know, there are times when I'm supposed to call people back. I don't follow through. And normally, back in the day, that wasn't my thing. But it's been so much, you know, and especially in this year alone, you know, 2019, um, my three, well, not my three, but my two aunts and my mom passing away the first 30 days or 35 days of the year, you know, that was a kick in the ass. And we've had other deaths in the family since then. And so, you know, we're all reeling. And like I said, you know, shook is a fucking understatement, you know. And so I believe that this year for me and maybe a few other folks out there, hopefully, you know, I well, I can't say hopefully. Look, let me tell you what, what it meant for me. I, I've learned to appreciate family and friends and relationships a lot better. It's not that I didn't cherish those things before, but this year showed me that shit can change in a fucking instant. So, you know, I'm trying to get out here. I'm trying to live my life, trying to do the best that I can. And, you know, considering the ailments that are going on with me, nothing is fucking guaranteed. And so I'm really trying to get some things in order. And like I said, the one business prospect that I'm looking at you know, it's going to take a little time for me to get everything in place to push that forward. Or, you know, maybe I'll win the lottery. You know, I do take those tickets in to see if I won. But, you know, <laughs> which is also a black tax. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, it's something going on there. So, you know, I'm just trying to get everything in order. And I want to make sure that, you know, when I leave, that. Everybody, all my nieces and nephews, I'm not worried about my siblings, but my nieces and nephews that they're taken care of. And, you know, at least a little something so that, you know, they can invest it in their children to help their children. So that's that's my thing right there. So, y'all, something wicked this way comes. How about that? So, you know, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what the hell? What's really happening in this country? And the last time I was really on that particular kick, 
was during the um, presidential primaries of the general election in 2016 because that was when I started noticing things, and I was like, what the hell? So when they would go out protesting, especially if they were protesting Hillary Clinton, we started seeing pictures of people in cages with the jail uniform on, with a Hillary wig or a Hillary mask and all of that. And that was the first time ever that I had seen that type of protesting in this country. Now, I've seen that at protests in other countries. And once we moved forward and we started recognizing and understanding the Russian influence in what was happening with that particular election, you know, I, I hope that you guys went out and did some research and paid attention to how Russia has meddled into the politics into in elections in other countries. It's not just America doing that shit, and that's what I find interesting because with American imperialism, you know, we've been interfering in elections and in the politics of pretty much every damn body, right? <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why you have a lot of people from South America making that dangerous trek to try to get into the United States of America. But let's put that in perspective as well. America gives Mexico money to stop these people from flowing into the United States. And and what's really interesting is, you know, you have a lot of people pointing the finger at Donald Trump as they should be, but they should also point the finger at Barack Obama. He was known as the deporter-in-chief, and he deported a hell of a lot of people out of this country. And I'm saying that to say this, it is a racket because, what happens is with the deportation, sorry, you guys, I need something to drink here. You know, hold on. It's a racket, right? And what I mean by that is there's a hell of a lot of money to be made in the deportation industrial complex. I guess that's what they call it. If that's not what they call it, that's what I'm going to call it right now, right? So, they are people are making millions of dollars for basically building detention camps and housing immigrants, you know, that are scheduled to be deported. There's an airline specifically for deported people. You know, U.S. citizens, no citizens, you know, of any country can use that to get from point A to B. Those planes are specifically for people that they are deporting out of this country. So they're making millions and billions of dollars off of that, um, you know, and everything. The ones that are making the blankets, the ones that are with the food service, and all of that. And so it's capitalism, hyper-capitalism, and they're making a hell of a lot of money. And I'm telling you this because I need you to understand the full context of what's happening there, because, again, it's about money. It's about money, and I need for you to go out and take a look, because, I mean, there's a direct tie to that as well with the prison industrial complex, right? So, you know, you have some of these corporations that specifically put together private prisons. Again, I said private prisons. And these are privately owned by some individuals and by some corporations, right? Millions and billions of dollars from that. And what they do is they have contracts 
with many of the states in the United States. So what the contract does is it obligates the state to pay for these number of beds. And even if no one is sleeping in that bed, the, the you know, they still have to pay this corporation. And that is one of the reasons why you see them chasing down people, trying to put them in jail, specifically black people. And so, you know, um, I need you guys, you know, to understand what's happening. And I'm trying to remember, it was an article. Oh, okay. There was an article that came out. So apparently um, a police officer or a former police officer is suing the New York Police Department, right? Because he was saying how, you know, minority police officers were punished excessively and how they had a quota. They had, you know, they had a quota of callers that they had to make, right? And basically, black and brown people, specifically black men and brown men, but, you know, they're arresting girls and women at the same rate they are black men. And when I say girls and women, I'm talking about black ones. They're arresting them at the same, at the same rate as black men and boys, right? But basically, you know, they told them to focus on the black men, black and brown men, and, you know, incarcerating them. And when the white officers would miss their quota, they'll say, oh, it's just a bad day, and then they'll put them with someone else, partner them up, and then they would go out and they'll be able to hit their numbers because they're with that particular individual. With the black and brown officers, if they didn't hit their quota, then they were penalized. So they were given jobs that they didn't necessarily want to do and, and you know, basically yelled at, made ridiculed, you know, mocked at during, you know, um, when they line up for formation before their shift starts or what have you. And so, or at the beginning of their shifts, well, before they go out on the street. So, you know, it was interesting. So he's suing them. And, and I just thought that was interesting because in that same article, it talks about white people, Asian people, and Jewish people, and they call them soft targets, S-O-F-T, soft targets, and told them to kind of take it easy, don't really bring a lot of those particular people in that group in. But the other targets, which I can assume are hard targets, that's who they wanted them to bring in. So, again, and this is not just New York City. This is happening all over the country, right? Like I said, Ferguson is every city and every town that has, you know, a relatively large, you know, black population. But I have to correct that because they can even have a small black population. They're going to do the same thing. And so I'm going to tie that into black tax, right? And so what I need for you to understand about black tax, you know, it has a number of different definitions, but within this particular context, I need for you guys to understand that when you're paying these fees, these fines, um, you know, to the county or the municipal government or the state government, and in some cases even the federal government, those fees and fines are paid disproportionately by black people. So black people, black and brown people pay the majority of that money, which in essence you are paying the police and the judges and all of that to incarcerate you, to mistreat you, to treat you as less than. 
And it's not like something is something that you voluntarily pay. If you don't pay it, they're going to try to put you back in the clink or give you more time or extend your probation. You know, or, you know, so I need for you to understand what's happening. And there are many studies out there and articles that are talking specifically about that, about how these fees and fines are imposed on black and brown people. And basically, we're financing our own oppression. And I know some of you are out there shaking your head, and you may or may not believe me. You know my model, trust but verify. Go out there, look it up. I'm challenging you to think for yourself. Go look it up. And if I'm wrong, which I'm not, but you know what? Things could have changed from midnight last night to today. I don't know. But send it to me. You let me know. You know, because I have no problems looking at data, looking at information that, you know, that contradicts what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I pointedly go out and deliberately look for those things. Because in order to effectively understand what these other people are doing, you have to understand how they think. Because how can you counter-argument that? That particular thought process if you don't know it and you don't understand it. And that's one of the reasons why this show has been strong, you know, over the last several years. We started this show in 2011, and, you know, I've taken quite a bit of time off just for a number of different reasons, but more so for my own sanity, right, because life was happening. And sometimes, you know, you have these extenuating circumstances that demand your undivided attention. So anyway, we started the show in 2011. And if you listen to some of the older podcasts, you will notice a difference between then and now. You know, and I have no problem coming on this show and telling you I was wrong and apologizing and telling you what I used to think and what I think now. And, you know, what happened in between that changed my opinion. And I want you guys to know that it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to be wrong about things. And it's seriously okay for you not to know everything. I will tell you I don't know, and I will look it up. But, um, you know, this show in and of itself, and we've had some marvelous guest hosts. We've had some marvelous other shows that have, you know, been on this particular network on Black Free Thinkers, you know, you have Emmalyn, Mario, um, um, Father Teresa, you had MC Brooks, let me see here, Noah was here for a minute, Nakomi, um, Carl, uh, let me see here, because I want to say his real name, but he doesn't like Dragnot, that's his name, and, you know, it's, it's been a number of, Vita, can't forget Vita. You know, it's been a number of people, and if I didn't mention your name, my apologies. I just, I wasn't expecting to do this. It's just off the cuff. But with all of these combined people and all of the shows, we have clocked over 1 million listening hours. So I want to thank you, and I'm, you know, imaginary clapping my hands to you, thanking you for listening to this show and for sticking with us and having over 1 million listening hours, I think that's a big deal. You know, most of these shows are more are two hours, right? And I've done three-hour shows. So, <laughs> you know, it's a lot that I want to talk about. I have no problems talking. 
and, you know, I have no problems riffing this shit, right? So let's go back to the black tax. Um, you need to understand how that works. And you need to understand how you can actually bring these municipalities and these state governments and even the federal government, you can bring them to their knees. You know, black and brown people, especially if you have, you know, some white, white allies and then you have, you know, red and yellow people, if we collectively work together, we can really make some shit happen because that's the only way some of these things are going to take place. Is going to take collective action, and there are different countries that are now doing that, right, and bringing these governments to their knees. So I'm not out here putting together any type of plan. I have no type of agenda, no none of that. Don't come knocking on my fucking door. Don't be calling me the fuck up. I'm just telling the people it can be done. But just because I'm telling them that it can be done, that doesn't mean that there is going to happen because the hardest thing to do is to get people to cooperate with each other. It's like herding fucking cats, right? So can it happen? Yes. Do I believe that there are some people out there that can expertly put this together and pull it off? Hell yes, there are. And they know that there are people that can do that. And so, you know, that's another reason why I tell you guys, you know, if you know of any of these activists that are out there, you make sure you reach out, these activists and these organizers, and you reach out and you tell them how much you appreciate them because it's a thankless fucking job. So if everything goes well, you know, nobody wants to give you the credit, but if everything goes straight to the pit of hell, then it's your fault for every damn thing, right? So... Um, you know, that's that. But yeah, so, you know, fines and fees and, and taxes, you know, basically fall upon the working class and poor people. And when I talk about a black tax, you know, in the sense of taxes within that particular um, narrative, right? All right, the lottery. The lottery is a tax on the poor. Because poor people are the ones that primarily play the lottery. And what's interesting is when the lottery was first set up, that money was supposed to be used for education for the schools. And your children are still going to schools where they have 40, 50 children in the class. They're using old books that they share amongst each other. And, you know, it's just no tutoring. And they're supposed to provide – if your child goes to a public school, and your child is having difficulties, they're supposed to have a tutor. They're supposed to have those services for your children. And many of them do not. So this is why you see a lot of these, you know, 501c3s outside organizations, whether they're religious, secular, or people, you know, organizations, many of them offer tutoring to these schools, not to the schools, to the students. And you know, you have to understand how a lot of that works, right? So um, I could go on, but I don't think I want to. But, you know, between just the outright theft of taxes and monies that are designated for poor and working class communities, specifically black and brown communities, 
they don't really want you all knowing about, you know, a lot of these loopholes that are out there and how they've been able to really circumvent the system. So, again, you know, for some of us, you know, when I talk about the black pack, they talk about when you're, you know, one of the family members that have done quite well, you know, you're kind of expected to hold the family up and to do those things. That's a different type of black pack. But, you know, it's a very real, you know, situation for many of us. But in this regards, when I'm talking about black taxes, you know, wages pretty much to a certain degree have been stagnant. And what happens is, you know, they have these what's called a RIF, a reduction in force, which is in some cases layoffs, but in other cases when people retire or quit, they just don't fill those seats again, and they take that work and they disperse it amongst the people that are still at that particular company, right? And so you're expected to do more. Your salary pretty much is stagnant. They may give you a 1% or 2% raise, but that doesn't stop rent from going up. That doesn't stop inflation from going up. It doesn't stop food from going up, right? I want you to keep up with me here, right? And in some cases, some of these salaries have gone down. So when they decide to hire someone in, they hire them at a much lower salary or rate than the people that left the company. So basically they're using that additional money to pass the company and, you know, their payroll, which basically a lot of that money goes to middle and senior management, specifically senior management, to make these outrageous salaries. And so – you know, with that, you know, with the money that, you know, they're using for the salaries and all of that, you know, again, you hear us talking about capitalism. You hear us talking about, um, you know, just the different things that are happening out here, how a lot of these corporations aren't paying taxes. And you have some people out here and they call it corporate welfare, Right. And that's basically what it is. And um, let me see here. (laughs) The Cheddar Tater Tot basically was fined $22 million about Trump University. It went to court, and he had to pay $22 million. And guess what? He got a refund for $25 million because of that. So not only did he get his $22 million back, he got $3 million more. There is something wrong with that picture. And you need to better understand what's happening. I'll even use Kanye since he's the center of this show somewhat today. And he made $115 million last year. And out of that $115 million, he still ended up owing either 25 or 35 million to the IRS. I think it was 35 million. So he still owed the IRS 35 million dollars. And then after the tax cuts that Trump put in place, he ended up getting a check for 65 million dollars. And that's one of the reasons why I think he's going nonprofit, so that all he gets to keep all of his money. And unfortunately, that is how you do business in this country. So Kanye is not the first or the only one 
that have understood being a 501c3 or c4, you know, you have these different designations out here, by having that nonprofit status that you're able to basically keep all of your money, write a ridiculous amount of expenses off, and walk away with it scot-free because there is no oversight of that. And I need you guys to really, really, really pay attention to what's happening because the way I see the situation with Kanye, and I'm not sure if anybody is doing a dissertation on Kanye, but he is a prime example of a really good dissertation for one of you guys out there, right? And um, basically, I see what Kanye is doing as a test case. This is me, right? And so basically he just bought some more property in Idaho, right? So these little communes, you all need to go out there and pull up that information about all these different properties that he's buying all over the United States. And he's going to basically turn them into communes. And I know some of you like, Kim, how do you know this? Do you talk to Kanye on the phone? How the hell do you know? No, me and Kanye are not phone buddies right? But I do listen to what people fucking say, and I believe them. Now, I've been talking about this shit with Kanye for over five, six years. You know, and especially in the last three to five years, I started really zeroing in on shit when I saw that he was serious. He's going to start these communes, and it's going to be interesting because I don't necessarily see them pulling a Waco on his ass, but I see them allowing it possibly to come to fruition, and he's going to have people moving out there to these communes and working, working for the law, right? And if you all went back to, you know, I told you to go to watch the – documentary, and let me see here, it's not on Netflix, I apologize, I thought it was on Netflix, I have a subscription to Sundance, and so it's over on Sundance, because I'm sure a few of you were like, what the hell, you know, <laughs> you know, we don't see anything like this on on Netflix, but it's on Sundance, and the name of the documentary is Ministry of Evil, The Twisted Cult of Tony Alamo, right? Ministry of Evil, The Twisted Cult of Tony Alamo. So that is one of the very specific cults that they did not wake up, right? And with Tony Alamo, you know, he had them producing items that they would sell, including specialty jackets that everybody wanted one of, right? And even Michael Jackson had one of his, um, jackets on, you know, and so some of these cults, they allow them to flourish, and even to this day, that particular cult is still alive, it's just under the direction of someone else, because eventually they were able to incarcerate Tony Alamo, and he died in prison, his ministry and, and everything that was tied to it was allowed to continue, okay? So go and watch that. And it may be on more venues than Sundance, but that's what I saw it on. So, you know, I'm just telling you it's out there. 
and there's a chance that someone has thrown it up on YouTube or something, so go and look for it. But Kanye is going to have these communes. People are going to go and join him, you know, because we can't say that they won't. You know, they're already following that Nature Boy guy around, which is interesting. And I knew nothing about Nature Boy until Raina brought it to my attention. So you get to see a cult live and in action, right? And you see how they mold people, how they kind of, you know, brainwash them. I guess, you know, that's the word some people would use, but I call it re-education because it's like a re-education camp, right? And uh, at least that's what the government will call it, especially when they're doing it to people. They call it re-education. So he's going to have these communes. He's going to have people coming there to live. And with some of these folks, he's going to basically – you know, having them work for free, you know, as the church would call them, willing workers. That is what they're called, willing workers, and they're working for God. They're giving their service to God. And with all of these different cults, many of them, not all of them, but many of these cults, what happens is they have to generate a paycheck for these people that are working there. Otherwise, they're going to have problems with the Department of Labor, right? And so basically, you know, even with Tony Alamo, he would have these people signing over their paycheck back to the church. And and it turned into an issue. And so, you know, I just see that happening with Kanye. And if this is allowed to happen, it's going to be a test case because basically it's going to get to the point where he's going to consider – those people, black, brown, red, yellow, white, whoever goes out there, you know, he's not going to call them indentured servants, but that's pretty much what they will be because if he sets it up the way that I think he's going to set it up, you're still going to have to pay your way living on his compound. And if you are going to the, you know, the, the community store, which he owns and operates, and you're working on credit, so if you get by certain things, they have a credit line, and you know, and and that's how you pay when you finally do get some pay, or you just have a credit line and you got to figure out a way to pay it. I'm not sure how he's going to set this up, but it's going to be such a situation whereas you're going to have to pay your debt. Now, again, this is me guessing. You know, all of this is alleged, right? Allegedly. So if he does this and he gets away with it, pay attention because these damn communes are going to start popping up all over the damn place. And we see what's happening now with some of these churches like, you know, Kenneth Copeland's church in Texas, another one of those prosperity preachers, word of faith preachers, and they are anti-vaxxers. And they have had some measles breakouts. My thing is, is that if you're an anti-vaxxer and you're not vaccinating your children and they open one of these communes, I will pay your expenses to get you the fuck over there. Because we need you out of the damn general population because, you know, a lot of these diseases that were once eradicated are now making a comeback. 
you know, and with me, it's personal because my immune system is fucked up. And this is one of the reasons why I avoid people that I don't know their children because children's immune systems are extremely strong. And don't let it be a sick kid. You know, if we're supposed to hang out and you got a sick kid in your house, I'm not coming over there. You know, and so that's how that goes. But um, I need you to pay attention. And so in the notes here, I had put Bible. And so if you go to the show notes, especially if you're on the blog talk page, click where it says Bible, and it's going to bring it's going to bring up a link, right? And in that link, it's talking about the Jesus Bible. As a matter of fact, for the pictures for the show, it's showing the cover of the Bible and and the first page of generous of Genesis, Lord Jesus, Genesis, and the Bible is called the Book of Jesus, right? And basically, what's going on there is, from my understanding, they're saying that this is not Kanye West's publishing, right? You know, so they said the verdict was false, and that was not him. But you can see why people would believe that it was him. But, you know, what's interesting is, you know, there's some going back and forth as to if this is really real and if it really belongs to Kanye West. But, you know, again, allegedly, if it doesn't belong to him, I'm pretty sure people can understand why we would think that that's possible. But if it does belong to him, because I have not been able to track this down specifically, you know, I've done a little research, but I have not done it specifically. But, um, child, if this is him, you all should not be surprised because you had other ministers out there. Let me see, who else was selling their own special Bible? I believe Ken Copeland had his own special version of the Bible, and I believe a few of those other prosperity preachers had their own versions of the Bible, emphasizing on whatever it is that they wanted to, you know, emphasize on. And child, what Kanye is doing is not new. This has been happening for generations. And I need for you all to understand. See, the thing is, the one thing that I can say about the cheddar tater tot and these white supremacists and what's happening in this country and how it's in your face now, at least you know what you're dealing with. But this has always been around. They just don't care about hiding it. They're putting it in your face and, like, what the fuck can you do about it? It ain't shit most of us can do about it unless we work collectively. And that's what Kanye is doing with this ministry of his. He is putting it in your face. And everything that you may find wrong with what he's doing, he learned it from other preachers that are out here that have utilized these same, um, these same techniques and strategies to enrich themselves. So I want you to examine that and go back and do some reading. That's why I say I need for you guys to do a little bit more reading and research to understand what's happening here. 
And um, so, you know, in this particular Bible, they replace all the words um, that that are God or Yahweh, and they replace it with Kanye and Jesus. And for those that are, you know, still, you know, um, Christians or, you know, Muslims, Hindus, what have you, you have to be careful of people like this. You know, I'm not religious in any con in any kind of way, right? In any context whatsoever. But it's important that if you're going to be a part of that, that you understand what you're a part of. You know, and and if you're going to allow them to, you know, tell you to recite this particular scripture, it is in your best interest to read the Bible from cover to cover. And also what they do in many of these churches, they do what's called proof texting. And what proof texting is, they'll grab a scripture from the Old Testament, have you going over to the New Testament for another scripture, then back to the Old Testament for another scripture. And they're tying these, these particular scriptures together to make a point. But if you go back to where these scriptures came from, and read the entire chapter. I'm not saying the entire book. That would be nice too. But the entire chapter and look at the context in which that particular scripture had been written. And in the majority of the cases, you will see that that is not tied to whatever point he was trying to make. And so, like I said, you know, I am not against the black church. I am not anti-black church. I am not anti-black Christian. But I am anti-white church, and I am anti-white Christian because you've shown us who you were. Even before the Cheddar Tater Tot got in office, we knew exactly who you were and what you stood for. And when they had fist fights breaking out at the you know, um, Southern Baptist Convention because they wanted to adopt a language that was anti-white supremacy, and so... You know, I, I will give you all an assignment. I want you to go out and do some research, research to find out why we have all of these different denominations. There's a reason for that. I know that reason, but we'll talk about that another day in time. But I need for you to go out and to do the research on that so that you can glean a better understanding as to how this has happened. Right now, you know, it's interesting. Um <laughs> my first show back this year and you know we had a caller and he was talking about the tower of babel right and you know and you know, different religious people different christians regardless of ethnicity ethnicity or nationality when they talk about the tower of babel you know they're talking about people that were trying to climb their way up into heaven because they were tired of the shit that was happening here. What happens is, you know, in, in per the Bible, is that basically that 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 pillar or whatever you want to call it that they were building, it was destroyed. They came tumbling down and then their languages got mixed up so people weren't understanding each other. And basically that's how people started out in these different sects, right, S-E-C-T-S, sects, right? And personally, if we're going to talk about that particular lesson in the Bible, I look at that as these different denominations, right? So but that's just me. 
I am not, you know, a Bible scholar, none of that. But um, if we're going to apply it to a current, a current, you know, historical, tangible type of situation, I see that as the different denominations, right? And not that people were trying to, you know, build a pillar to heaven, but you got these different denominations of the same, you know, of the same body of Christ, as they say, right? And reading the same Bible, yet the language is the same, but the interpretation is different. So, you know, it's just interesting. Why I went off into that, I don't know. But let me get back on <laughs> on target here, right? So, um, as they say, pimping ain't easy, and it's not. And Kanye is not alone in what he's doing. You know, there have been a number of different people that have been out there, and I just say, you know, pay attention, do some research, um, another one that I will, another documentary that I would tell you all to watch is Wild Wild Country. Now that one I know is on Netflix. Wild Country, right? And so basically, this was a documentary with Osho, and <laughs> and his apprentice. That's what I well, I don't even want to call her that because you know Sheila. It, it was a woman, and her name was Sheila, and she was the one that kind of was the glue to a lot of this. And Sheila was, you know, demonized and vilified for what happened. But, you know, go out and read about it because what happened is they they created a community in Wasco County up in Oregon, right, up in Oregon. And what they did was absolutely fucking amazing. And, again, the name of this documentary is Wild Wild Country. They, you know, the the state brought them down, right? And, you know, Sheila was incarcerated for a short period of time. And the way that they set that documentary up in, in telling that story is absolutely phenomenal. And I know someone who has a colleague that speaks to Sheila. I think she says she speaks to Sheila once a month, and, you know, my ass, I want to talk to Sheila, but I'm too scared to ask, right? And so I'm going to have to find a way because I actually kind of like Sheila, and and it's just interesting, and I know it's twisted, and I know some of you are like, what the fuck, Kim? But it's not so much the cult part of it that I like. It was the righteous the righteousness, you know, the righteous indignation that she showed because basically what happened was, you know, they started freaking the white people out because it started out with, you know, some Indian people and then some of the white followers, and it started out in India. And because of the different things that were happening in India, they decided to come to the United States. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but what happened was they took over the city they took over the police department, and basically, you know, they took over the city government, and they were expanding it so that they could take over the state government. And then that's when people had to step in. The state stepped in, and so did the federal government. 
and how they had to basically take them down. And with Sheila, you know, if you go and watch this, you'll see her talking about the white people and how shameless they were and how racist they were. And she was saying that they were treating the white people the same way the white people were treating marginalized people. And it was true. And it was just really fascinating to watch. And you all know, I'll watch some things. I'll tell you to go out there and watch it. But those two documentaries right there are absolutely freaking amazing. They're fantastically done, you know, and I would suggest that you watch it. So basically, go out and look that up. But I also want you to go and look up the history of Oregon, right? Because Oregon was supposed to be an all-white state. So, you know, it's supposed to be an ethnostate. So when you hear people talking about ethnostates, they're talking about places like that and other little box states that most people can't name on the United States calendar. So you have Oregon, you have Idaho, you have the Wyomings, and you have um, the, the Dakotas and all of that. They have black people living there, but very few. But if you go, like I said, you know, the documentary Wild Wild West, they started picking up homeless people from all over the country and bringing them into Oregon so that they could have the population count so that they could win these elections because you just had to register those people and they would be eligible to vote. So, you know, that turned into a situation as well. And so, you know, I'm just like, wow. But one of the things that I've noticed, common thing, and many of these cults are, you know what, I'll let you all figure that out for yourself. And if I do a show on cults, which I probably will, um, we can talk about it. And I definitely will want you guys to call in. As a matter of fact, um, you can call. I see I got a couple of people here, but no one pressed one. But if you want to call in, the number is 310-982-4273. Again, 310-982-4273. You can just listen in, or if you want to talk, you press one. You have to press one. And I get that every week. People are listening in, so and it's good. But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Just looking at all of that, and, again, tying that into the white pathology. Again, white people get scared when there are too many people that don't look like them that come in. You know, um, some people call it xenophobia, right? Being afraid of something that is different, you know, and that's not just, you know, white people. You know, you have some of every group that has xenophobia, but you know, with white people, it's just something on another freaking level, right? And that's why I look at black Christians specifically, and I get the point that the white Christians, and I'm like, especially these white evangelicals, and the racism that is pervasive in that particular community. And I remember when Frederick Christ, you know, another prosperity pastor in Crenshaw, California, and he decided that he wanted to do a series on race, right? And basically, he lost members of the of his church. He lost friends, you know, preacher friends, because they did not want him talking about racism within the church. 
But he went ahead, went ahead and did it anyway. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I need to go back because that was, you know, my mom wanted the books for that. And I got books for her for Christmas last year, but she started getting sick before Christmas and all of that was happening. And I kept forgetting to take the books over to her house. And then she transitioned on out of here, you know, the latter part of January. And, you know, you know, I'm still dealing with that. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, you know, the biggest wake-up call or the slap to me was recognizing that there is no longer a home to go to. So you know how if you're living other places, you'll tell people, well, I'm going home for the holidays or I'm going home, you know, for you know, a week in the summer or what have you. And home basically means I'm going to my mom's house. That's what it meant for me, right? And now that she's gone, there is no home to return to. And um, that's been very hurtful. You know, so that's that. So anyway, um, moving on, you know, what's going on with Kanye is nothing new. The only difference is we get to see this built from scratch, and it's being built in the open. And, of course, this is going to turn into a reality show. That's another component of this thing with Kanye. He is going to monetize the shit out of this. And you're going to have other people that follow. And it doesn't have to be name brand, home, rec- you know, um, um, home name recognized, you know, ministers or ministries. So, you know, the ones that have a home recognition. And, you know, you're going to have people out here that are extremely charismatic that are salesmen. Because when it comes to things like that, you have to be a master manipulator. And you have to be a master salesperson. And they are out here. And I see how people get caught up in all of this. But it's not always religious people. I need for you guys to understand that there is, again, a polar opposite, and that's the secular community, the atheist community specifically. And, you know, again, they have cults over there. And we've talked about it, you know, and people are falling into it. And I'm sitting back and I'm watching this shit and we've called it out. Raina and I have called this shit out. You know, sometimes we sit on the phone and we just laugh our asses off because pretty much everything Raina and I said has been validated. Right? And it's funny when white people think they've discovered something that you talked about, but when you were talking about it, it was wrong. But when they talk about it, it was right. And even when I sit back and I listen or I watch or read something that they put out there, you know, it's just interesting how, you know, my talking points have traveled. You know, some of my talking points have made their way into some folks' books. Uh Uh-huh, right? Don't think that I'm not paying attention. And so it's really interesting, but within the secular community, this is a white, and when I say the secular community, I'm talking about the atheist, free 
thought um, anti-theist, you know, non-believer, skeptic, you know, et cetera, community. It's a white male-centered community, right? And they are working hard to keep it white male-centered. And if you bring up anything outside of that specific nucleus of folks, it is called mission drift, and they're not going to pay you any attention, but they keep a few black and brown tokens around so they can use them to deflect from charges of racism, and they keep a few women around of different races, including white, and they keep them around to use them as, you know, shield and deflect from the charges of misogyny and sexism. And, you know, even with the, you know, with the homophobia and transphobia, you find all of that in that community as well, right? So what's interesting is, um, again, it's about white pathology because this atheist secular community is nothing but a mirror image to mainstream society. With the white mainstream LGBTQ movement, again, is white Centered and it's a reflection of mainstream, you know, society. And, you know, even with a disability, we can go down a list here. But when you have these mainstream movements, it is generally white male centered and a direct reflection of mainstream society just at a smaller size, right? So I need for you to be able to, you know, visualize that. But it's the same bullshit. Because even within the LGBTQ community, the disabled community, um, you know, the feminist community, so on and so forth, they still have issues of racism, sexism, transphobia, misogyny, all of that shit. And they don't want to address that and because they will tell you it's divisive. And what's interesting is many of them are like, oh, well, diversity, yes, we have diversity. We love diversity. That is what it's about. Diversity, again, is used as a shield. And there is a difference between diversity and inclusion. And I need you to pay attention to which words they leave out. And sometimes they'll use the word inclusion here and there, but it's not necessarily true inclusions, right? They're using those people as a shield. You know, those people are their fucking kryptonite to keep those other communities at bay. So if you got black and brown tokens, they try to, you know, use their black and brown kryptonite to put the rest of these different communities in check because they've given these specific people extended some of their white privilege to a certain degree to these folks, but their job is to try to beat everybody else off, right? So I need you to understand what's happening there. And so, you know, I've had some people that have gotten upset with me and will get upset with me again. I don't give a shit anymore, right? And, you know, because of comments I made about not wanting to talk to predominantly white groups anymore or white crowds, I have that, you know, I have the right to make that type of decision. I have the right to not do that, right? And, you know, I haven't really gone into too many details as to why I feel that way. So I guess today is the day that I'm going to tell you why I feel the way. So it's interesting. And what brought this up to, you know, make 
want to talk about this today, there's a rapper by the name of No Name. I ain't never heard of her before. Don't know any of her music, but it was a big old hubbub about her saying that she did not want to do concerts with a, um, a predominantly white crowd. And for that person who was on the line, you didn't press one, darling, you got to press one. And um, basically, the reason why I don't like talking to a predominantly group of white older people, right, because there's usually older people in that group. Number one, you've been around, you've been alive for a long time. And if you've done nothing to come out of your comfort zone and to stand up with marginalized people, why are you coming to hear me speak? Because, you know, okay, you may have written a check. That's fine. But did you get take time out to get to know these people? Did you take time out to encourage the activists and the organizers that are on the front line, right? But with some white people, you know, I'm just talking in general here, what they do is when they go and, and listen to one or two black speakers, maybe watch a couple of videos, maybe, you know, share one or two articles written by black people that they like, which is usually someone that's whitewashed, right? They feel as though they've done their social justice or their community service for the year or their lifetime. I'm not going to allow you to use me as an excuse to not go out into the community, not to serve the community, not to get to know black and brown, red and yellow organizers and activists and actually be an active participant in social justice. And that's one of the things that I have a real major problem with because, again, with some of these older people, you help to, you help to have these policies and these, these laws and these acts and amendments put into place that further oppresses black people. So until you're willing to do the work to force these politicians and this government to change these amendments, these acts, these laws, these policies, the government, these corporations, until you're out there and you're actively forcing them using your white privilege to force them to make these structural changes, I don't really have shit to say to you. And in addition to that, on a more personal note, when you fly to these different, you know, um, conferences or conventions, if you've been invited, you know, again, it will be, you know, at the invitation of some white people for the most part. When you get there, number one, before you even leave your house, you are sending that person a lot of trust, and you're putting a lot of faith and trust and security into that person's hand because you have to believe that they're going to come and pick you up from the airport, especially if they set it up that way. Oh, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come pick you up. So you have to have faith that they're going to be there to pick you up. And in some cases, they want you to stay in their home. So you have to have faith in the fact that when you go to their home that you're not going to be sacrificed on some type of altar, right, You then they want to take you out to meet their friends and you have conversations with their friends. So you, you know, again, you become somewhat of a trophy because 
cares? This one, here's my black friend. You ain't got no other black friend. You know, if you do, they ain't never been to your house, right? But if this black person is speaking the language that you want them to speak, you're bringing them to the house so you can have that as a trophy to show your other white friends. So then here you go. You're somewhat of a captive fucking audience, right? And so they're shuffling you around and showing you off, and then they expect you to stick to the talking point that will not cause any discomfort or uncomfortability to the white people that are there watching and listening. Because if you say anything that makes them uncomfortable, then now you have a problem, right? And so they may or may not say anything to you, but the attitude will speak for itself. And that's one of the reasons why when, you know, I won't take the money, but I make them give it away because you're not going to change what I'm going to say up here. And the truth of the matter is I'm purposefully going to say some shit that's going to piss somebody off in the audience. I've told you all time and time again that I say a lot of the things that I say on this show to piss you off, to make you uncomfortable. That has always been my goal, to push you out of your comfort zone, to have you rethink some shit, to have you rethink, and I'm talking to white people here, how you are complicit. But let me make sure this is understood. I do this show for black people, black and brown people. Black, brown, red, yellow people. And there are a lot of white people that listen and they get they get what they need to get from this show. And I don't begrudge them that. Get what you need to get. But I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. And so it's just really interesting because I have a lot of people saying, Kim, you need to monetize. You need to monetize. Because, again, like I say, I see my talking point. You know, here and there, and, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck? But, I mean, that's the way it goes, right? But um, we're going to get it situated. You know, I got 50 minutes left in the show, and now I got revved up and, <laughs> and talking about it. But, you know, I have this bullet point of anti-blackness, right? So Hubert Henry Harrison, basically, and I talked about this on the show with Dr. Cameron, and, you know, it kind of came out a little funny, so I'm going to go ahead and restate it here. And Hubert Henry Harrison, when he was talking about Karl Marx and Marxism, he was talking about how the black community is the touchstone for America. And what he meant by, you know, touchstone was the condition of African Americans, the conditions of black people in America is the true indicator as to the well-being and the condition of America in and of itself. So, you know, that's why when we hear people talking about, the, you know, the orange tater pie, and he talks about how black unemployment is at its lowest, that's not because of him. It was because of the policies that were put in place by Barack Obama, and it's just continuing because those numbers started coming down. However, there is still a lot to be desired with that, whether it was from the Obama administration or the tater tot administration. Because, again, those numbers, you can lie with statistics. 
So with those numbers, they're not covering or talking about or even really adding in the people that are underemployed. And there are a number of people out here who are underemployed. They've been forced into that situation. They're not calculating that in. And they're not calculating in the number of people who have just fucking given up and aren't looking for a job at all. So those numbers are skewed. And even with the Obama administration, they kept pumping money into the economy, right? So, again, we're floating on a false economy, and it has to correct itself. And the same thing is happening with the orange tater tie. And what I need for you all to understand is with the 2007-2008, black and brown communities lost between 70 to 80% of their wealth. And that wealth was transferred into white, wealthy people's pockets. Now, there are some black and brown people that benefited from that as well, namely Deval Patrick, but I'm not going to go there today. But um, you need to do your research and understand. So I'm saying that to say this, you know, because I'm kind of all over the page, and you all are used to me doing that. When I'm talking about anti-blackness and tying that into what Hubert Henry Harrison said about the black community, when immigrants come to this country, whether they're Asian or Irish or Eastern European and some Africans and some Africans that, you know, are darker than me, they come to this country, what happens is the white community in so many words holds up the black community, African American, and tell these immigrants, these are the people that you do not want to be like. You want to keep them away. They're dangerous. They're no good. All of these different, you know, negative adjectives that they can use to describe black people. And so in order for these particular groups to have white privilege or certain components of white privilege extended to them, they have to basically be anti-black. You know, follow you around the store, treat you like a criminal, call the police if you're sitting there having a barbecue, Call the police if you're sitting there minding your own business, trying to go use the restroom, anything, or you're sitting around waiting for them to fill your to-go order. Somebody's going to call the police, and we can never find any peace. And so this is what, you know, we're up against, and this is how many of them are being trained. But if you talk to them in the background and talk to them one-on-one, They have their issues with white people, too. They just know they can't vocalize it. And there are a lot of black and brown people that are the same way, you know, and they won't vocalize it. But then you get people like Kanye and Candace Owens. Yes, this is black free thinkers, but it is not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. And I need for you guys to understand that. And, yes, I am against the Republican Party. But I'm also pretty much against the the Democratic Party as well. I'm an independent, and I find fault all the way around, even with many independents. So, you know, they don't get a pass. And so, you know, I'm just trying to give you all a better understanding as to, you know, anti-blackness, you know, is, is, is the name of the game in this country, right? And that's one of the reasons why they keep trying to fend off all of the pressure that's coming down now for reparations. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I'm not 
not sure if I'm going to talk about it now. Maybe I'll get to it. But, again, here we go with white pathology slash white supremacy. Now, white supremacy is one of the factors in the equation that gives us white pathology, but we're just going to say white supremacy right now. White supremacy was built and created and is perpetuated not to uphold white people, not to glorify and glamorize white people. White supremacy is in place to oppress marginalized people, particularly black folks. That is what white supremacy is. So this is why when you hear us, you know, talk about Candace and Kanye and and what's that guy's name? Um the Indian guy, Dinesh Souza, and a number of these people, when you hear us call them white supremacists, you know, chocolate covered, whether it's dark chocolate, milk chocolate, strawberry glaze, whatever, white supremacists, covered supremacists, that is what we're talking about with white supremacy. It's about oppressing black people, black, brown, you know, and other to a certain extent, cultures, right? But mainly black people, white supremacy is not there to uphold white people and to glorify them. It is to press down, press down and oppress, suppress black people and our rights. And it's really important that you understand that. And, you know, what's interesting is what they try to do is equate Groups like the Klan and these other white nationalist groups out here, they try to compare them to the Black Panthers and the Nation of Islam and a number of these pro-black movements and organizations that are out here. And it's a false equivalency. And it's important that you guys understand that. And I've talked about that on a number of occasions on the show And I've had people say, well, Kim, you reinforce things that you've taught in the past. And I'm like, yes, because, you know, some people don't know this. We have a lot of new listeners. And even with some of the people that have been listening for a while, you probably caught on to some of it, but you didn't really fully grasp it. And so here we go. A few years later, you have a better understanding. And so now, you know, you may be ready to go out and do more research and, you know, me putting more out there. But, you know, basically, you know, going back to what I was talking about with um, just in general, black unemployment is at the level where it is on purpose. Now, if you go into the, the statistics that they're pulling out and putting out there, you'll see that black unemployment is twice the rate of white unemployment, right? But that statistic still isn't necessarily true because I believe that black unemployment is really at five or six times the rate of white unemployment, which is why I say it's important for them to count the people that are, you know, underemployed and the people that gave up. So if you go back and you look at what happened before the New Deal, before FDR and the New Deal, What happened was, at that time, for one unemployed white person, there would be one unemployed black person. So there was some parity there. And what happened was, when the New Deal was implemented, in order for the Democrats or the Dixiecrats to vote for the New Deal, 
again, all the monies had to be pushed down to the states. And the states, you know, had administrators that they put in place with these, you know, with these biased views, but with their marching orders, basically, that these programs were not for black people or for very few black people. And I need to find that article that I posted several years ago that explains this in detail, right? And there are many more, so I'll do some research on that. Oh, and also, if you guys, you know, I post some things on Facebook, but you really want to subscribe to the Reddit page. So reddit.com slash blackfreethinkers, one word, and you should be able to find it or go to Google and type in Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T, R-E-D-D-I-T, space blackfreethinkers, and you'll find it, sign up, and, and subscribe. And because I put a lot of links on Reddit, you know. But, um, you know, when those programs were pushed down to the state, the monies for those programs, they deliberately factored out a lot of black people, right? And so, you know, and especially black people that were still agrarian or working agricultural jobs and domestic jobs. So basically if you were a farm, you know, a farm hand or even a sharecropper in some instances, or you were the nanny or the maid or what have you. So they were able to basically not pay Social Security taxes for those people. And what's interesting is with a lot of domestics, so the housekeepers and the cooks and the nannies and all of that, they weren't paying Social Security on them. And one of the fiercest opponents of putting Social Security in place for those people were white feminists, were white women. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm glad there are books coming out that are talking about white women specifically then and now and how they have been some of the most virulent racists that you could ever meet, right? So I'm going to pull it back to center. I posted an article talking about the dirty truth about white liberalism. And, you know, this has made me very unpopular in a number of circles because I don't give white progressives or white moderates or white liberals a pass. I talk about them. I talk about what they're doing. I talk about why it's problematic. And what I need for you people out here to understand, black, brown, red, yellow, you know, white, is racism has absolutely, in my eyes, Nothing to do with whether you like me or not because of the color of my skin. Racism has to deal with the structural policies and laws and, you know, everything that's been put in place to basically disenfranchise black, brown, red, yellow people. You understand? And they let a few of us in. I can't lie. I have not had a bad life. I've had a good life. And... um you know, if I talk a little bit more about me and my childhood, it was, it's really interesting when I, you know, retrospect, right? And I think about my childhood and how I was sheltered, I was sheltered. And, you know, and because I was talented or gifted, you know, that opened a lot of fucking doors for me, Right? And it even opened doors for me as an adult, right, because I have the gift of gab. I know that. And, you know, and I enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking. Oh, I see we got somebody. I'll get you in a second. 
And basically, child, let me tell you, when I had my nigga moment, you could have knocked me over with a fucking feather, right? And you learn, oh, damn, they hung up. I tried. I was getting ready to get to you. I needed to make this point. But, um, you know, um, I learned my lesson. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are. It doesn't matter, you know, in some cases, who the fuck you know. If they decided that you're a problem, you are a fucking problem. And, you know, I just sit back and I laugh at all the lessons, especially the lessons of the last 10 years. And, you know, and I'm just going to go on out here and say it, just in general, across the board, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, or whatever, most people ain't shit on some straight-up bullshit. You know, there's some people that I have, you know, they, they say that about me, and I'm really okay with that. Right, and you know it's it's a trip because you know coming up and you learn some lessons. You know, for some people you have to learn the lesson the hard way. Other people you can learn some of those lessons vicariously. You see the mistakes that person made, so you know not to do that, right? And so, um. All I'm saying, people, is, uh, <laughs> you know, there are some changes that need to take place in this country. There are a lot of changes that need to take place in this country. And it's not going to happen without a demand can't just be out here on social media saying this, this, that, any other. But you know what? I take that back. Yes, you can because there are some people that just can't get out there. And that's not what I was saying. You know, I'm not saying that you have to be able to get out there and march and all of that. And that's not what I'm saying. You know, some people don't have money to send in. So they amplify the voices on social media. And that's much needed because that's how many of us found out about a lot of the shit that's happening. And this is how we've been educating one another. If you, I, I, I want you to do this. I want you to think about where your particular mindset, where it was 10 years ago and what you believe and contrast it with what you believe now. And I want you to look at that growth or you may have devolved, right? And so I'm not sure how you want to categorize it for yourself, but if you have not made any changes in the last 10 years, you need to ask yourself why. And it's okay. And I need for you to understand that it's okay. But, again, you have to get out here. You have to start challenging. I had someone ask me the other day, about if if I really believe that things will take change, take to a change in this country. And yes, I do believe things will change in this country, but basically we're going to have to confront more white people and kind of force their hand into making some of these changes. 
And that's why I'm looking at this current roster for president. You know, and Kamala Harris, she dropped out. And I think I'm going to let that go, right? But, you know, if if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm not impressed with any of them in general. However, since I got a pick, because, again, I do vote, I've thought about not voting. I thought about stopping, but I'm registered, and you guys, just to let you know, in many states, you can register online, and because of what's happening, you know, with the Voting Rights Act, Section 5, and and some of the decisions that are coming through with the Supreme Court, you need to make sure, and not only the Supreme Court, but also your state legislatures as well, you need to make sure that if you are registered to vote, that you are still on the rolls and that you haven't been purged, you know, so you need to check on that regularly to make sure that they have not kicked you off, right? And so, you know, given the choices that we have, I am looking at Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, and Bernie Sanders with caution, right? And so, you know, Julian Castro, you know, has been just outright honest in some of his assessments. And so he was talking about the Democratic Party not necessarily lifting and amplifying black and brown communities and and voices and and making structural changes that will, you know, um, um, make changes to the betterment of these particular communities, right? He said, why are we Democrats if they are not utilizing their, their power to benefit our communities? And he's absolutely right. This is something that we've been asking for a while, but let's not get it twisted because that same talking point is you being used by people like Candace Owens and a number of other black conservative Republicans that are out there. And so, you know, it's kind of a two-edged sword. It'll catch you coming or it'll catch you going, but it's going to get you, right? But I've been saying this for years. And, I mean, uh, you know, I was with the Green Party for a little bit. And when I say with them, I'm not saying that I was registered with them or that I was, you know, um, um, pontificating on their talking points or anything like that. But I would keep up with them and pay attention. And, you know, Cynthia McKinney was once their nominee, and then you also have the Libertarian Party. And it's just it was so interesting with that Gary dude. I think his name was Gary. I don't even really remember anymore. But, you know, he couldn't name a couple of newspapers, and it was just interesting. And so what I find funny about that is, Again, especially within the atheist secular community, you know, you have a slew of libertarians. And, yes, there are varying flavors of libertarianism, right? You have your conservatives, you know, you have your democratic libertarians, which I thought was quite interesting. I've done some reading up on them. And you have flavors in between and, you know, interspersed all through there, right? And so I don't like them. I don't like them, right? 
because I see them as Republican light. And and you know, not all Republicans <laughs> are out here trying to fuck over, you know, marginalized communities. However, when it comes to certain things, so you know, I'm trying to remember in the last couple of weeks, there was an article and it was basically talking about how these certain particular groups were being discriminated from I'll just say a restaurant because, you know, we've seen a lot of that over the years. And basically how that restaurant had the right to say, well, no blacks, no browns, no immigrants, no whatever, nor LGBTQ, any of those people in their restaurant, right? And so, you know, you get this outrage. It makes its way around social media and, and, you know, some pressure comes down. And in some cases, they will not relent, right? Now, with a lot of these libertarians, as well as Republicans, but I'm talking about libertarians specifically, that is like a wet dream for them because they want the right to discriminate. And so, you know, and it's interesting when they call into the show because I can pick up real quick who who they are, what they are, right, and the right to discriminate and the right to, you know, be able to tell people to go kick rocks, right? And, you know, I hear a lot of black people out here that call themselves libertarians, and I just kind of shake my head. But let me tell you one of the tricks that they play. So they'll say, well, there is a law in place, you know, or the Constitution says, you know, all men are created equal. And, yes, it does say that, right? But if you read within the Constitution in and of itself, it says that black people are three-fifths of a human. But, you know, then they tell you about these different laws on the book saying that it's illegal to discriminate and all of these things. And that law is there. Those are words there. But they are not being enforced. And if you bring a lawsuit, let's say you're at your job and they discriminated against you, and you file an EEOC report, it is hard as hell to push that through, which is why some people just deal with the racism and the sexism at their job, because even if they have an employee labor relations department at their corporation or company, those people are there for management, and they are there to protect management. HR is there for management and to shield them. And so basically, again, I need for you all to understand what's happening. So with these contestants here for president, <laughs> and I know, yeah, but it is a contest. Come on now. So you have these people, and with Elizabeth Warren, she says she talks about enforcing those policies, but she also, you know, put out, you know, a talking point, talking about how we can have capitalism without racism. And, you know, of course, I found that a bit entertaining, right? But um, you need to listen to what these people are saying to you. Bloomberg is a Republican, but it benefits him to run as a Democrat. That is what he did in New York and gave himself an extra time. Why? Because he said so. And so, you know, he's as much of a despot as damn orange cheddar, cheddar tie, the cheddar tater tie, right? 
you need to understand this. And, you know, the stop and frisk and, and him lying about stop and frisk, you need to understand why that's problematic. And even with Deval Patrick, which I said I was going to get back to, I'm only going to say a few things. But he shielded a lot of these banks and businessmen, billionaires, that made an absolute killing from these bad loans and bad mortgages that, you know, that took a lot of property away or a lot of the wealth away from black and brown communities. And since I'm talking about that, also a lot of black and brown churches were hurt by that as well. And I know some of you are like, yeah, fuck them, you know, but again, in many of our communities, that is the focal point. If they have, you know, uh, you know, they, they give away food. For some people, they need that food to make it to the end of the month until the next paycheck. They have offices where they, they have the light heat program. So you can go and get help with your gas and your, you know, your lights and, you know, some payments towards that. Or in some cases, even get them reinstated, get them turned back on. You know, and a number of other programs that some churches have. If those churches and community groups, because there are some community groups too, some people, some groups that serve the people in general. If those people are chased away or they shut down, where are the people going to get help? And that's why I give the middle finger to the atheist community because they want to do everything they can to destroy the black church when they have nothing in place that can benefit the people. That's not how life works. That's not how it works. And what's so interesting is the majority of the people that are part of the damn secular community are working class or poor people, which is why sometimes I mock them about getting upset because people aren't sending them enough donations so they can sit at home and blog about each other all day. Get your ass up and go get a job like everybody else. Amazing. Absolutely fucking amazing. So, I can go on, and I can go on, and I can go on, but I won't. (laughs) Because I think I covered, you know, quite a bit. So, you know, it says something wicked this way comes, you know, it's still, it's here, but it's still more to come. If you think we are out of the woods, you are mistaken because this fuckery that's taking place in this country, this is just the beginning stages. You need to keep your eye on what's happening now for 2020. And so I'm going to talk about that for right now. So, you know, I'm leaving that other stuff alone, and I'll get to it again on other shows in the future. But what's happening with 2020 now, With this whole impeachment fiasco thing that's happening, I'm sitting here and I'm watching it, and I believe that the House is going to impeach him, but the Senate is not going to 
um, remove him from office. That's the same thing that happened with Bill Clinton, right? And so I have I have people that want to argue with me about Bill Clinton and say that he was not impeached. And I'm like, yes, he was. And they're like, no, he wasn't. And generally, these kind of arguments are with white people. And like I said, some of these white people can be as wrong as two left feet. Some of them know that they're wrong, but they're hedging their bets that you don't understand history and you don't understand what's happening. And we all know that white mediocrity is, is held up as, as a beacon of light, is held up as a, as, as a point of reference of this is what you want to aspire to, right? But when you have black talent, black people that actually know what they're doing, you know, they do everything they can to drum that black or brown person out because you can do their job better than they can. So in turn, what they do is they promote the white guy up and out of the way and have the black and brown people doing the heavy lifting of that particular job. And basically, they, they mark that black or brown person as unpromotable. And it's not that they're not smart enough to, to be promoted. It's basically who's going to do the fucking work if they promote the black and brown talent up and out the way. You need to think about that. For some of you on your job, and you can't understand why you're, you can't get promoted. And the idiot that you train is now your manager. There's a reason for that. Maybe you're a little bit too good. Right? So, you know, I see you again. I need you to press one. Okay, I saw you unpress it. Now, if you want to talk, press it again, and I'll pull you into the conversation. So press one again. There you go. All right, let's pull you into the conversation. All right, we have a caller. May we ask who's calling? Yes, ma'am. My name is uh, Jeru, and I'm calling from uh, South Carolina. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, Jeru? George is fine. Yes, sir. So I see you've called in. Is is there something you want to talk about? You have a question? No, well, not in particular, you know, a singularly to you. Um, but I guess I was just uh I was listening to the conversation earlier and then I kind of fell off. So I'm not real sure, mm-hmm. you know, um, in which direction you guys have been, you know, taking the, the conversation more recently. And I always, you know, you know, like to engage or properly Excellent. insert as as I'm needed. So. Okay. So, yeah, you know, I talk about a number of different things. And so um, if there's something I was talking about and you want to talk about it a little bit, we can do that. Okay, so um, so where um, I guess here recently, where had you been talking about the uh, the the young girls that that I'm getting back, or what what some what some things maybe that you a list of things or the highlight topics that you that you covered you guys covered today, and you know those hot topics. Oh yeah, 
Well, I'm all over the page. You know, I talk about a number of things, but it kind of sounded like you were going into the direction about, you know, these black and brown, you know, and particularly black women and girls that are that have been gone missing. Gone we missing. have over 70,000, yeah, missing black girls and women. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we do need to discuss and we do need to talk about. However, I need to put a caveat in here. So in the past, month or so, I've been seeing a lot of talk from different people saying that some of these women and girls are being snatched and and people are trying to take their uterus to give to trans women. And let me make sure that this is understand, that this is understood. That is false. That is not happening. That is not a myth. They are not snatching these girls and women to give uteruses to trans women. But a lot of these black women and girls that are being snatched, they are being trafficked. So that's human trafficking. And, and, and you know, this has been going on for a while. And so um, it's interesting because when you, if you go back and you think about 10, 20 years ago, when white people would address slavery, they would talk about white slavery in regards to white women and girls being picked up and kidnapped and thrown into trafficking. But yet there's an eerie but deafening silence when it comes to black girls and black women. So yes, that needs to be addressed because, you know, you have people out here that are putting them out on a stroll, getting them addicted to these drugs, um, you know, harvesting organs, you know, that's happening, that's taking place as well. And it needs to be addressed. It needs more coverage. So I agree with that. Oh, absolutely. So, um, and and I guess, uh, and, and now that you speak on that, I, I saw the, the, the homosexual uh, issue that you were speaking to earlier. And, um, you know, it's, it's just um, these issues are our issues um, to deal with as as a black people, as African people. I'm hearing um, a conversation now that that is starting to be prevalent where it's not enough where we were in the church and we want to argue about what denomination that we are or this and that, but you know, now when we are trying to go back in to reclaim our roots, reclaim our history, starting to re-educate ourselves outside of this educational system that has been very detrimental to us, uh, we have people making attempts to now embed uh, certain things of of a falsified nature in 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 to okay, so, you know. So, mhm. Well, now let me address yes, that. Yes. So I want yes, I want to make sure we understand this. You know, um, we are you know allies with the LGBTQ community. We're allies with the trans community because there are a number of us that are members of the LGBT community, and there are members of us that are trans folks. So you know, we do support them. We do support them, and I want to make sure it's understood that. You know, because, you know, you get these different talking points that people call in with, 
you know, um, homosexuality or same gender loving or however you may want to call that, you know, that is not something that came from white people and they gave it to black people. You had members of, you know, you had LGBTQ Africans that has been over there, you know, for as long as you can remember. So, you know, the, the, the African community or the African continent did have LGBTQ, you know, people. So that's not anything new. It's not something they picked up from the Greeks or the Romans or any of that. But there were LGBTQ people in, in Africa now, and there were LGBTQ people before we were a twinkle in our daddy's eye. That's just how it's been. Well, and, and, and see, I guess it's just the, the thing, because I'm, I'm a brother that I come from, you know, the hood, right? I come from, mm-hmm. you know, a place of here in, in, in America by way of, of African roots, you understand? Because I recall those stories being passed down via my ancestors, via my elders in my family about certain uh, levels of underprivileged situations, certain levels of uh, racial injustice or inequality or even slavery. Um, I've definitely heard those oracle, you, you know, those, those, those oral stories of, um, you know, slavery. So uh-huh. um, I am a one that am, I am African by my genetics. And, you know, even, and I didn't, I, I didn't really mean to go and, and speak about the LGBT, you know, whole movement. But, you know, mm-hmm. now that we are talking about it, because I'm a person that I come from selling drugs in the community, right? I come from selling hood, uh, selling selling dope in the hood, in which now we know that that thing is glamorized. Selling dope is glamorized. Where you have people like Future that are winning awards. Jay-Z, he's a billionaire. He's claimed to fame with selling drugs to his own people, right? So it's a thing that has really shown itself to be very, very profitable, right? We can all agree to mm-hmm. that, um, but there are some detriments to that. And even as we're talking and discussing about, you know, talking to our children about the potential uh, uh, in, inside a lifestyle, talking about the potential harms, the pros and cons of selling drugs. You want to talk, here? I know I grew up around people that rob folks. You could talk about I've heard the stories of when somebody pulled off a lick and they came out the situation with thousands of dollars and probably a lot of assets. Or on the other end, you know, the con is they come out, you know, they get shot. Or I got some brothers that are in jail now. They've done like 20 years because they had the consequence of doing it. So I think in having the honest discussion in talking about anything that is either going mm-hmm. to build us and our people, you understand, not just from a bias standpoint, not just because I like selling dope, not just because I like robbing people, but I want to tell the children what is organically correct. And organically, you know, as we're talking about the LGBT community, this is not the way that we were brought to a place to sustain a quality of life. You understand? And I was speaking with some brothers that, you know, the brother was, you know, he was a homosexual. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's no, it's no 
fighting or anything in that nature. And like I said, I didn't intentionally call to the show. I, I know I just called early and then, you know, just kind of, and, and needless to say, I'm not a Christian, but there are topics of discussion that me and Christians, we can agree on. I'm not a homosexual down with the LGBT, but there are certain things, but there are certain things that, that I don't, we don't agree on. And I think just for our young boys and our young girls, even being at a place, because there are a lot of those uh, human traffickers now that are women. They're talking about those women that are actually luring girls in. You understand? But that's, and I that's, wanna that's say, been happening the whole time. But go ahead. Go ahead right, right. That's, right. That, that's true. That's true. That's true. But it's it's just rather rather than us practicing a level of accountability, and sternness, even when it comes down to making our selection on our mate. It's like we are at a place now where we are very loose in our selection. And like I said, not pointing the finger at any one person, but now us as a people, we are kind of like all over the place, and we we trust any and everybody. And we are seeing and we have the results of where we we are the victim. We can't really talk about the white folks or the Mexican people or anybody else because this is a story that nobody is covering, that they aren't talking about this. And, you know, we can't make ourselves like an, uh, uh, let's all get along and, you know, let's all hold hands. Right now we got to be concerned with our, and even in the feminist movement, they can talk about a lot of stuff, but they are not putting their, they even in the LGBT community, they are not mm-hmm. – Collectively putting their interest here at these black girls, they're not. This is just and a reality. And you're right. And you're and, absolutely you know, correct. And you I've know, called nobody, the white nobody's concerned. Well, right. I'm saying I've called the white feminists out on that about not addressing these types of things. And you're, you know, and so I agree with you on that point. But you know, um, going back to something that you touched on, you know. <laughs> Black women have not necessarily just been put on this earth, black women and girls, we have not necessarily just been put on this earth to procreate, right? And the same thing with black men and boys, you know, but, you know, LGBTQ members of, you know, our community, they've always been there. And the the biggest, you know, the biggest change as far as that's concerned in the black community and the black church is when the white church decided that they had a problem with gay people. And so the black churches took those talking points and perpetuated them. And if you pay attention, and that's not only the black church, the black community in general, but one thing I want to emphasize, because I have to say this, the black community is not more homophobic than the white community. And that's one of the fallacies that's been going around because that's, what they're trying to say in regards to black people not supporting Buttigieg, right? Black community is not more homophobic than the white community. Homophobia is just across the board. But there are some people that have body dysmorphia, and, and, and they want to make those changes. And if they have the money and the insurance to give them whatever parts that they want to have on their body, that's them and their lives. And we have to allow these people to live their lives, live their authentic life, live to be whoever or whatever the hell they want to be. That's no business of ours. But, you know, again, one of the reasons why 
we hear a lot of conversation around, you know, um, the homophobia is because the black community isn't producing as many babies as we once were. However, in a lot of those cases, those women and girls were forced to have those babies because wealthy white women had access to abortion even before Roe versus Wade. And that's some of the reason why we see some of the problems in the community because, again, you have some people, hi, how is a 12 or 13-year-old going to be a mother or a father? They, they don't even know who the hell they are yet, but they're responsible for another life. And so, you know, um, I do believe in abortion. I believe a woman has a right to choose. You know, but I also do believe that we do need to build up our community and we need to be working with each other to make that happen. But I also want to emphasize black capitalism is not the way because black, you know, capitalism is capitalism, whether it's in blackface or whiteface. It's the same shit. And we, black people, know how to do this. You know, you'll have, again, the black community being the touchstone, you know, and, and everybody is focusing on that. And they're like, they don't have any businesses in their neighborhoods. They don't have home ownership and all of these things. We once had prosperous communities and cities and all of that. And what happens is white people get jealous and they come and destroy it and they take it and they burn it down. Wilmington on Fire, Christopher Emmerich's documentary, he was talking about how they're still finding deeds for property that the deeds it was deeded to black people, but when the white people killed off and chased the black folks out of town, they claimed their land, they claimed their source, and and they're when they find these deeds, they're just shredding it. They're shredding the evidence away. Oh, he he dropped. Sorry, dude, but um, you know it's just important for you guys to know that. And it is important to have these conversations. So, Jeru, thank you very kindly for calling in. And so we're getting ready to phase out of here. But I'm going to play something. You know, those that have been around a while knew we had a theme song that I played for a little bit. And, you know, I stopped playing it. But right now I'm going to play. Um, But this is just the music version. You know, this is just the music version to take us out today. So I thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate you guys. And thank you for letting me be a part of your family.